You go to a foreign country to see the sights, taste the local cuisine, and lose yourself in the culture. But what if immersing yourself in those traditions almost kills you? Our next guest knows all too well what it's like to feel death breathing down the back of your neck, quite literally. And as we start to run, I slip and I hit uh, the raised cobblestone and I look back and the bulls are right there. He'll tell you how he narrowly escaped being impaled and scraped off the cobbled streets of a famous town in Spain. Welcome to Real Tall Tales, a podcast where we uncover the extraordinary stories of ordinary people. We're your hosts. I'm Cassie Young. And I'm Munir McJohnny. And I'm Wynn Corliss. So, (laughs) (laughs) So, Wynn, tell us, how does someone end up running amongst the bulls in Spain? You know, I think we initially went down to do a study abroad in Italy and We had talked to a couple people that had actually done the running of the bulls in Pamplona, Spain. And I think the more we kind of started talking, we kind of realized it was kind of a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be able to go do it. So we just decided that first week of July we were going to get on a plane and fly up to Pamplona and go do the running of the bulls. So it was a little bit of impromptu, but also, you know, we kind of had to keep it hushed from the teachers and everybody because if they found out that we were going from Italy to Spain to do the running of the bulls and then back to be class on Monday... Apparently, the insurance for the study abroad program didn't mm. cover that. So. Oh, my God. So you were young. Because I was wondering why, like, no shade, but why you would do something so dumb. It's, like, clearly a death wish. <laughs> you know, there's only a couple people die a year, so it's not a big oh, deal. Oh, just a couple. The odds are great. Yeah, it's not too bad. Do you get a head start? Yeah. So the whole thing is actually the Festival of San Fernando. And nobody really told us about the festival itself. We were like, oh, you know, we'll go up there and we'll do the running. It'll be a good time. We ended up getting over there late at night. We flew into Babeo, rented a car, drove over to Pamplona. And we start seeing these fireworks go off. And we were like, okay. And we didn't have a hotel. So we were just going to go sleep in our rental car. That was not a good idea. So you literally flew to another country from where you were studying abroad with basically no plan in place and no proper knowledge of, like it was an adventure. Oh, yeah. Like you didn't plan it out. Oh, our cell phones died. Like we didn't have any cameras. Like it was it was not. <laughs> we were like, hey, as long as we can get there, we're good. And uh, we're like, we'll figure out the rest later. And We were going to do the whole running in uh, American flag morph suits. And we got out of the car that morning and we were wearing the American flag morph suits. And everybody was wearing like the traditional like white garb with like, you know, the red sash and all that type of stuff. And like within about 30 seconds of getting out of the car, we realized this is not a good idea. (laughs) We're like, we are going to be those people that get impaled because we're going to be pushed in front of a bull. So we (laughs) didn't a police officer stop you and tell you that you would die. Yeah. He saw us get out of the car and he kind of like looked at us and we were like looking back at him like, hey, we haven't done anything. And he was like, you guys need to change. Like, do not wear that. This is a very proud Spanish tradition. Like you will get pushed in front of a bull. We were like, okay, cool, 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 cool. Cool. So we instantly went and actually bought the correct Spanish attire. To, I just yeah. want to segue. So did you pack American flag morph suits in your study abroad suitcase? Or does like Amazon have Two day shipping, shipping now? <laughs> <laughs> no, we packed them. Uh, we actually bought them for the study. We were like, hey, we're going to be in Italy for the 4th of July. Why don't we go be uh, those Americans? Uh, and we did. We actually went down to class in American flag morph suits and Budweiser's and we just kind of went and sat down in class and it was fun for about 15 minutes for our teachers were like, all right, chill. So you, you changed out of the morph suits into traditional Spanish garb. Paint a picture of the setup. Like, were you in the corral with the bulls? Where do you guys wait? Like, how much of a head start do you have? Yeah, so when we got there late the night before, it took us about an hour and a half to actually find a parking spot. And we get out and everybody is just smashed. I mean, they're so drunk. What time is it? It's about midnight. 
Wait, is the running at night? No, the running is in the morning. Okay. So our whole goal that night was essentially to figure out where the running started, get a meetup point for after the running, because we figured we were probably going to lose each other over the course of the run. You know, to death. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> where, where do the ambulances meet? In um, heaven. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys up there. Uh, so uh, that's kind of our goal for that night. And the more we kind of started walking around, essentially, you know, you go over two or three blocks and it's like a different neighborhood. Every neighborhood had live music. Every single place was essentially turned into like a bar like they'd sell alcohol so you could walk in grab a beer and you know us being completely sober it was kind of one of those things where we were taken back a little bit like okay i mean people are sleeping and people are throwing fireworks at sleeping people there's people what? doing it behind it dumpsters. i mean oh, it was crazy so, so we, it's like mardi gras in new orleans on steroids almost yeah that wouldn't be a bad comparison at what all. is the festival festival of sand for men what is that about? Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so you learned a lot of Spanish culture while you yeah, guys yeah, were yeah. there. Yeah, you know, that, was, that, was, that was our main goal. Um, because, again, we had talked to several people about the running, but nobody ever actually mentioned the festival. So uh, we were kind of surprised when we got there that there was such a big party atmosphere. And I guess right. looking back now, like, totally makes sense. People are going to be running with the bulls in the morning. Like, yeah, everybody. I mean, I think the town is essentially, I think it's like 100 or 200,000 people or something like that. Yeah. It's and a then, hundred, oh. population of 199,000 people. And the festival actually is observed to honor a saint, Saint for Men. And it's actually a couple weeks long, the entire festival. Wow. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, Saint for Men. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, no, so they actually do the running, I think, for six or seven straight days. So I think we got there and did it the fifth or sixth day of that year. So as we're walking down these like cobblestone streets and we see all these stores have been turned into bars, people are passed out on the street, there's vomit, there's broken glass, and we kind of quickly realized like we're supposed to be running on this in like six mm. hours. Oh, so like slick streets basically with broken glass. So it's not exactly an easy obstacle course. It's not a, a flat, smooth highway like you would have in the States. No, you're talking thousand year old cobblestone, raised wet cobblestone streets. I think that was kind of the big eye opener for Nick and I as we were going through that, as we were looking, going, okay, like this isn't pavement. This isn't, you know, and the streets are pretty narrow. Because again, you know, they weren't built for cars when they were initially built, you know, 100 yeah. years ago. How many bulls wide? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say they weren't built for bulls either. <laughs> I, I would say about five bulls wide, maybe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so like as we're walking down, like that was kind of the first time we kind of looked at each other and we're like, okay, this is a little bit more intense than we thought it was going to be. And we kind of both agreed like, you know, we'll wake up in the morning, we'll get dressed, we'll come down here. And if the roads are still in these conditions, we won't actually do the running. At that point, was there just a little part of you that was like, maybe this is not a good idea? Yeah, exactly. And we, was it your mom's voice? Uh, it's so funny. <laughs> I was just going to say your mom's voice finally woke up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think my mom may have been just like, oh, you know, go experience the culture and yeah. do it. You know, Set so she was. Picks, she, yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. So she's probably the, uh, you know, the devil on the side saying, <laughs> oh, it'll be fine. <laughs> no, but it was uh, definitely something in the back of our head where we were like, if this continues at this rate, I don't think we're going to do it. And as we woke up in the morning, we started to head down to the corral. People are spilling out of the clubs. Like they haven't closed. Like they're still open. But all the streets are blocked off and there's street cleaners coming through and they're cleaning it. So we were like, all right, I guess this is it. Let's go ahead and do it. So yeah, they put us in this corral. Um, there's maybe 200 people or so, everybody is just still 
smashed. How big is the corral? For 200 drunk people, I feel like that sounds like it's a drunk holding cell. Yeah. Yes, that's a... <laughs> a very dangerous drunk <laughs> an, holding an, cell. An outside drunk holding cell. Yeah, and I mean, essentially, they just blocked off a portion of the street with, like, wooden corrals, and they just set everybody that, in here. That's the time where you realize you don't have to be the fastest person. You just have to be faster than somebody else. Faster than the slowest? Yeah, so you're like, oh, there's plenty of drunk people here who I can easily beat. <laughs> we'll be fine. Well, I it, know. It's more about avoiding the drunk people, really, because, yeah. like, as they start going, like... You don't want, you know, somebody drunk just pushing people over mm. or, you know, so it was really one of those, like, we want to make sure we can distance ourselves from all these drunk people because it was, yeah. It I mean, really is survival of the fittest. Yeah. I know a guy named Brendan who studied with some monks and they would run through the forest and, you know, they would call him tiger bait and he wasn't a runner and he's like, why do you keep calling me tiger bait? And he's like, <laughs> they're like, literally you're lagging behind. The last person is, we're not even kidding, tiger bait. Like the tigers will get you and that made him pick up his wow. face big time. Yeah. What does even the waiver for that look like? Or is there no waiver? You're just getting in oh, there. Oh, there's no own. waiver. It's uh, They do have like an audio projection that will just say like, you will you know, die. Yeah, like, caution, please, yeah. please don't, like, it, <laughs> I remember what it was saying, it was like, if you slip and fall, like, curl into the fetal position and, like, Pray. don't move. <laughs> yeah, basically. And Nick and I both looked at each other, we're like, no, there's absolutely no way, like, if I slip and fall, I'm just going to, like, curl up into a ball and sit there while the bulls run by. That is wild. So you're in the corral. Is there a horn that, like, lets you start? I assume you're separate from the bulls at this point, so it's just a, a bunch bull of... A bull horn? Oh! oh! But, <laughs> but it's like you and 200 drunk people in this corral. So how much of a head start do you get before the bulls? Like, how do they tell you to take off? Like, what happens when they do? So there's an initial cannon, and that goes off, and then they open the corral. And I think you have, like, two or three minutes or so between... That's essentially saying, like, get ready. And at that point, you can go up as far as you want. However, you can't get into the stadium before the bull. I mean, you could, but if you do, the whole stadium is chanting, pussy. Mm. Because you're not running with the bulls, you're running from the bulls. So the goal is basically you are unleashed from this corral. You run through the cobblestone streets and end up in the stadium with the bulls. But the theory is the stadium is big enough to escape the bulls. So you're not in this tiny sort of alleyway street trapped with them. So if you get there first, you're a coward. Right, because you didn't run with the bulls, you ran from the bulls. Oh. So, yeah, and, and I mean, once you get into the stadium, I think that's supposed to be like, the bulls run into the stadium and then they do bullfighting with those bulls for the day and all that type of stuff. Oh. So that's part of the festival. So the horn sounds or whatever, you take off, you got a two-minute head start, what happens? Like, we didn't really do any research, so. <laughs> it seems like a really bad idea. Yeah. Essentially, the corral opened, right? And, like, some people were just hanging out. Some other people just kind of, like, started jogging. Some people just started walking. And we're like, this is not at all kind of what I was expecting. You expected everyone to take off like it was a marathon? Exactly. And so we see these two guys just, like, kind of leaning up, like, against a brick wall. And we kind of go up there and we start talking to them. And we're just like, uh, so kind of what's going on here? Have you guys done this before? Like, oh yeah, this is like our fourth time. And they were like great Brits. And we just started talking to them. Great Brits. <laughs> um, we were like, we'll take any advice you can give us at this point. Like we have no idea what we're doing. And so they kind of just run us through. They're like, okay, first cannon gates open. You're there. Second cannon goes off. They release the bulls. When you hear that second cannon, just start taking off, just start running, kind of keep one eye behind you. Look for the bulls. As soon as the bulls come in, you hit the wall, let the bulls pass and you chase the bulls in. The idea is you want to touch one of the bulls. That was not on our to-do list for that day. So we were like, okay. And he's like, you know, whatever you do, don't get caught on that corner. And he kind of just points, you know, 200 yards up. He goes, when that second cannon goes off, do not get caught on that corner because it's too sharp for the bulls mm. to be able to take that turn. So they get really essentially scared, put their horns down, and that's where people get gored is because they're running at full speed because they're scared because there's, you know, a couple hundred people chasing them. 
and they realize they're going too fast to make that turn. They try to stop, put their horns down, and that's where people get hurt. So we were like, all right, got it. Don't get caught on that turn. So our goal was just to go up and kind of get to the front of that turn. So when the cannon went off, we'd kind of already taken that out of play. That's essentially what we did. And the cannon went off and Nick and I lost each other within, I think, 30 seconds of the cannon going off. We just took off and started running. <laughs> and as we're, we're running, you know, these cobblestones, they're raised, they're wet, and, you know, we're just in sneakers. And as we start to run, I slip and I hit uh, the raised cobblestone and I look back and the bulls are right there. I mean, you see about four or five of them coming up behind you. And first thought is, I am not going into that fetal position. (laughs) How massive are these bulls? Oh, they're huge. I mean, I, I guess I can't really put it into words, but I mean... It's not like your regular old little cow. Like, these are bulls, right? So they're huge. I'm just trying to paint a picture. Yeah, I mean, it's a car. I mean, essentially, if you want to take a look, it's a car with horns going about, you know, 30 miles an hour. And you're sleep deprived. You've slipped on some slippery cobblestones that are probably sticky with vomit and last night's alcohol. I'm sure you're not feeling too great yourself. (laughs) And you've got cars with horns bearing down on you without human drivers to stop. Yeah, basically. You know, so I see these bulls behind me and I'm just terrified at this point. And I'm like, all right. So I try to get up and, you know, I kind of slip trying to get up and just some random guy on the wall grabs me and throws me up against the wall and I just sit there and I I look at him we both just start laughing just because we were like oh that was way (laughs) too close for comfort and so the bulls go by and you know we don't say anything to each other the bulls go by and he just takes off running and I was like okay like you know and so I took off running back after the bulls and uh, went from there but one of the things again that we didn't exactly do enough research as we should have there's a third cannon that goes off and so they release steer and ox to help chase the people and the bulls into the stadium. So when that third cannon goes off, these steer and ox are probably bigger than the bulls, and there's probably, you know, a dozen of them or so. And they're not as fast, and you don't have to worry about them. They're not quite as aggressive as the bulls are. But the idea is to get into the stadium after the bulls before the steer and the ox, because they don't let the steer and the ox into the stadium. So after the bulls go by, they start closing off the street. Oh, it's like um, the cleanup crew. Like when yeah, you're running yeah. a 10K and you see the truck <laughs> picking people up and you feel like, I've failed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I did not successfully complete the mission. Exactly. But at the same time, like when, when I say they close off the streets, I mean, there's like a fence essentially that they fold out onto. So you can't like go any further. And then you've got these steer and these ox kind of barreling up and the street is actually closed off. So, so what are you supposed to do if you're trapped? Essentially where they close it off, there's like an alley. So they push everybody into the alley, they block that off and then they block the street or uh. off the street. But at the same time, like they don't get everybody. So it's like... <laughs> <laughs> they don't get everyone. They're a couple of stragglers. So, like, you know, we didn't realize what was going down. So, well, we, I guess me, I don't really know where Nick is at this point. So I get, like, pushed into this kind of corridor. They close that off. And you see all these other people start running up. And, you know, the street's closed off. And the bull or the steer and the ox are running in behind them. And they've got nowhere to go. And they start climbing the fence. But the cops don't let you go over the fence. Oh, wow. You know, and eventually they, the, the steer and the ox, they stop. And then they wrangle them out. And then they let you back in. And you can kind of walk up to the stadium. So I want to go back and do it again, without a doubt. Um, Just make sure you have a good stranger there to help you out and save your life. Well, you know, get better shoes and kind of know what I'm doing this time would be would be really nice. And again, I think enjoy the festival. I mean, you can get some unbelievable apartments like overlooking the streets for the running Mm. for those days and that type of stuff, which would be a lot of fun. And it's a very proud, old, old Spanish tradition. So it's there's a lot of fun stuff that kind of goes on over the course of that week. The tradition started in the 14th century, and it was the goal of getting bulls who are grown and bred outside of the city into the bull ring. And so that's how the tradition started, and now it's become more of a tourist activity. But like you said, so you end up in the stadium where they then have 
the bullfights and stuff. Yeah, they have the bullfights for that day for several hours, I think. And we didn't really want to go in to see some of the bullfights. I think we had seen one, but we didn't really want to hang out. Good. I mean, it's it's pretty gruesome stuff. So yeah. Nick survived then, I take it. Because you said you got separated <laughs> in the first 30 seconds, and then we never heard about him again. Oh, Nick, Nick had a great story because he was running, and essentially he got flat tired, right? Somebody stepped on the back of oh. his shoe. And so his shoe just comes completely off. And, uh, uh, and reminder, like this street has broken glass on it. Yeah, and so he goes about six to seven feet past his shoe. Because he's running full he's speed running, away and, from and like goes, barreling bulls. No, no, I'm, I'm going to go back for my shoe. He ran back toward the bulls. Yeah, so like literally, you know, he turns around and everybody is running at him and he turns around to run the opposite direction towards the bulls to go get his shoe. And when he did it, he just knocked somebody over and the bulls were coming and he picked up that guy and put him up against the wall. <laughs> was that so you? It was, no, it wasn't me. <laughs> but it was, it was funny because it was almost the exact like reverse scenario yeah. of kind of what I went through. You know, and then he put his shoe on and then he started running and, and so that's how he got closed in that corridor as well. So um, Thank God you weren't wearing your morph suits because if I yeah. were there for the running the bulls and you and your morph suit or Nick like knocked Nobody's me down because you, you were running the wrong way, I would have been like, are you serious? Yeah, most people would have already kind of heard of us if that were the case. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you're like, you know, two dumb Americans uh, get yeah, bored the, in. There's the headlines. <laughs> so that either of you touch a bull. No, no, unfortunately okay. not. And again, I think that's part of doing a little bit more research next time because I do want to go do it again. And I do, you know, want to touch a bull. I mean, essentially, we see people with like rolled up newspapers chasing the bulls, kind of like hitting them you know, to get them to move on. As, and, as if they need incentive. Right. I mean, they're <laughs> terrified as it is. And, uh, you know, it was an experience for sure. And, you know, so after that, Nick and I went and had hamburgers for lunch just to kind of stick it to the man, right? We're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Of course. We're, we're eating your sister for lunch. <laughs> Such idiots. And so we, were, we we felt good about that, and we got in the car and uh, kind of drove to Barcelona from there. And that still didn't stop you from how many years later going cage diving with great whites in South Africa while hungover? Yeah, that was about five or six years later. Can I say I love your taste <laughs> for adventure? Well, I mean, you know, I think anytime you're in a country or somewhere new, try to do something and experience something new that you can't do anywhere else. So yeah, we were, uh, the company I was working with, we had a development team down in uh, South Africa. So I was down there managing that. So I was down there for about two weeks at a time, about three or four different times over the course of the year. And Again, you know, I called Nick and I was like, hey, you want to go down to Cape Town? And he was like, yes, and just booked a ticket. So <laughs> just like that. I was like, oh, great, cool. Just like that from the States to come visit you in Cape Town. Yeah. He was like, let's go shark diving and all that type of stuff. So I was like, all right, cool. So he ended up booking that. And it was the last day that we were there. Like we flew out that night and we went out drinking heavily the night before. And Nick was like, no, like we need to be up like five in the morning. And we had to check out that day too. So we had to pack everything, bring our luggage down, be in the van at like 5 a.m. Then it was like a two hour drive down to the reef where we were going to do uh, the shark diving. And, you know, I was like, oh, we'll just go get like, you know, a couple drinks. It'll be fine. I think we went to bed at like three. I love when the couple of sundowners <laughs> yeah. turns into like an all night yeah, it was, extravaganza. Uh, it was a lot. So we were like, okay. And we woke up and literally we just dropped their bags laid down in the van. I think they picked up like six or seven other people. We didn't even notice because we like were just like laid across the seas, passed out for like an hour and a half. And so they drive us down to where we're doing the cage diving. And again, you know, the, the instructor realized that we were Americans and we're just kind of poking fun at us the whole time. He's like, yeah, you know, these cages, they're made of like the best Chinese plastic out there. <laughs> and, and he's like, for you Americans, like we don't bring guns on the board. Like we're diving in shark waters, not our waters. And he's like, so don't ask me to shoot him. And like Nick and I were just like, what are you talking about like the most stereotypical uh, yeah, American yeah. jokes you but could imagine it was all in good fun right so he was kind of poking at us and 
Uh, you know, it's he, not like you could say anything back anyway. He controls the shark cage. Yeah. You, you want that guy to be it's on your side. It's not like you're just going to get, you know, spit in your food. You're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're going to be good to lock the cage. Yeah. <laughs> I feel a TV show coming on. Just like two white guys traveling the world doing dangerous Dude, stuff with animals. I was just thinking that it sounds like an MTV yeah. like series spinoff, like For The Adventures sure. of Nick and Wynn. Yeah. Sign me up. I'd do that. So what was it like in the cage? Like, did you see a great shark? Did you get in there? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so essentially we got there. They got us out on the boats. It's about maybe a 15, 20-minute boat ride out to these reefs. And uh, so we kind of get out there. Again, we're hungover. So being on a boat hungover in a wetsuit. Yeah, not a good idea. Not the best idea that we could have done. Again, I think starting to see a common theme here <laughs> as we kind of <laughs> go through some of this. But so we're hungover on the boat and it's gone. And we're both looking at each other like this was not the best idea we've had. Maybe we should rename the podcast to Not the Best Idea I've Ever Had. <laughs> And so I think to me, the killer part was actually the wetsuit because, you know, it's just so hot and steamy in there. And we get out there and, um, you know, they just start throwing chum off the side of the boats. And all of a sudden you start to see about four or five of these sharks start circling and they're big. Are I mean, they all great whites or yeah. there's a mix? I think they're all great whites, actually, because it's a protected reef for these sharks. Mm. So they've realized that they can go there and not be hunted and they get fed pretty regular. So it's kind of a good deal for them at the end of the day. So, yeah, we're out there and, you know, they start just throwing this chum over the side of the board and you see him get this big like swordfish head out and he puts a hook on it and just throws it into the water and starts, you know, reeling it in. You start to see the sharks kind of start chasing it. And he's like, all right, all right, we're ready. And we're like, what? <laughs> and so he puts like three people in a cage at a time. And you're like, can we wait till they've eaten? Like not taunted with food, but actually they're full. Oh, and he freaking like pointed me out. He's like, you here. And I was like, great. So <laughs> is that when you were like, oh, wait, I signed up to do this. Yeah, exactly. This was a volunteer, like elective. And well, because like I didn't know there was good or bad positioning within the cage, right? So he's Oh, is like, there? Well, good and bad is, I guess, kind of relative depending on what type of experience you want to have. So he puts me like closest to him. So when he's reeling in that, mm. that head, it's coming towards me. So the sharks are coming in then directly at me versus kind of some of the other people. So the other people get more of kind of the passive experience. I get more of the teeth. You're the slow one in this situation, like back to the running of the bulls. Shark like you're, bait. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. the first in You line. are the chum. Shark bait. <laughs> <laughs> so are you in a cage on the boat and then they toss the cage over or so, how does that work? Yeah, so the cage is actually held like on the side of the boat. You get into the cage and then they lower the cage down into the water. Ah, and how many people to a cage? Three. Uh, so I was the first one in, so the sharks, to your point, still hungry, and they're circling, and they lowered it down. He throws the fish head and starts reeling it in, and you see this 20-foot shark or so, you know, just start coming in at it. So he pulls the fish head back, and the shark just slams up against the cage. But, I mean, you see him as he's coming towards you. You see, like, all these scars and all that type of stuff mm. on the side of him, and there's hooks in him, and these big teeth, and you're just sitting there going why did I do this? And, you know, the whole time in the lecture beforehand, he's like, do not put your hands on the bars. Right. And, you know, so like... So, like, if you grasp them like you would if you were behind bars, yeah, it, you'll it, lose it, a finger. Right, and it's just a normal reaction to want to do that. So, like, you're doing it for, like, three or four seconds, and you see the shark coming, and you're like, oh, okay, I'm not... I'm you instantly remember you his instructions. floating in the cage then, right? Because it's fully submerged in water. I mean, essentially what they say is, like, you put your hands up on the roof of the cage and kind of help push yourself down so you can kind of get the best view. But, yeah, it's fully submerged in water. And this cage, I mean, it's an open cage, right? You've got water running through the cage. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're in a cage, in a big body of water, potentially just drowning with sharks around you. Yeah. 
Got it. <laughs> and he signed up for it. Yeah. <laughs> Did you touch the shark? Because I would never touch a bull in the running of the bulls. No. I would have just like yeah. <laughs> darted out really fast and touched the side it, of it. These aren't dolphins at SeaWorld. That you're... <laughs> okay. Can I tell you about dolphins? They are scary mofos. I went Ooh. swimming with some dolphins in Jamaica. They are a-holes. They have a ton of teeth. And the guides were like, they do this trick where they make the dolphins, like you kiss the dolphin on the cheek right. and it kisses you back. And I'm like, I want no part of it. Because it has like a mini row of shark teeth and then you got to let it get near your face and you're trying to stay afloat but not touch it because it'll get pissed off because you're in its house basically no it's funny because dolphins are actually more dangerous than sharks but it's just the image that we have because of like this industrialized world of animals right so even bulls there's a professor who actually did an experiment and he took 40 students out put them in a bull ring and they all just stood there and the bull didn't touch a single person and weaved in and out but students that. elected. In, who are you people? Yeah, it's so bulls will only attack if they're provoked. Otherwise, they're super peaceful animals. But it's because of all this like industrialization of like the animals that we have that we've got like our concepts completely mixed. Where dolphins are actually like a holes. Well, they're super dangerous, but I still feel like I'd rather be in the water right. with a dolphin than a shark. Well, that's yeah. because we've heard of all the great stories of yeah. dolphins saving people. But I think the real danger with dolphins is actually drowning. Right. Because they'll essentially go up to you and not purposefully, but they will drown you. We had one start to get somebody I was with. It was a coworker. It was for like my work. We went down there and he accidentally touched the dolphin in like, I forget where it was, but like you're supposed to stay like neck up or something, but it's hard when you're in the water and you're trying to stay afloat. I think he kicked the dolphin by accident, like something like that. The dolphin's private parts. Yeah. Well, not even the private (laughs) parts. It was just like, I don't know how to explain it. If you you take a dolphin dolphin and you like tip it vertically, like below the belt and the dolphin started to get seriously aggressive and the trainer's like, you need to turn your back on him you know and they got him away because they were all rescue dolphins and mm. i didn't i don't blame the dolphin like right yeah we're up in your private space but it is amazing how you, it can be such a like gentle like you think of flipper when right. you think of dolphins and then when you're up close and personal with them in the water you're like oh shit yeah like this is a very different experience from what i thought now you take that and you add in a great white shark <laughs> with <laughs> thin chinese yeah. plastic quote-unquote cage bars between you that's terrifying. And I think everybody's seen Shark Week and all that type of stuff, but seeing those beasts in real life, oh I mean, how God. big they are and their teeth and, and again, seeing their scars. And I mean, it's uh, it was a surreal experience. Again, glad I did it. I don't know if I'll be doing that one again, but it was a really cool experience for sure. And there's no tapping out of that. Like there is no, I'm done with this. Let's pull out. Like you're there for the experience. Yeah. And we did have somebody on the boat, I think, that decided not to go into the water. But once you're in the yeah, water. Yeah, once you're in. Oh, no, yeah. once you're in the water. Yeah. Like, it's like being on a roller coaster. Yeah. Like, once you've gone up the hill, yeah. like, uh, there's no going back. No, you're about to drop. I mean, once you once you got the wetsuit on, you're pretty much yeah, <laughs> you're locked you're, in. Yeah, exactly. It's like the seatbelt. <laughs> So there is another country that you're moving to, sort of out of the blue. You don't really know anyone, but you're moving for work to Australia. The next big, great adventure of your life is not like dangerous sharks or bulls. You're literally moving halfway across the world to a country where you know no one, you have no family and no safety net. Wow, thanks for the reminder. You're welcome. There is kangaroo boxing. (laughs) Oh, kangaroo boxing. Actually, Australia is a super damn dangerous country. You know, the other options were elective. There you just run into like, you know, they've got the camel spiders Ugh. and all that stuff so the deadly snakes I, yeah i just got back from sydney i was down there for about a month and sydney is a beautiful unbelievable city but yeah once you kind of leave 
you know, the four or five major metropolitan cities inside of Australia, you start getting into the outback and the jungle and all that type of stuff they have there. So, I mean, they, it's, I think a lot of us think, you know, it's almost all just bare desert outback for the entire country. And that's it for a majority of the center of the country. But, you know, if you kind of go into Northern Australia, they've got some beautiful forests and jungles and, and that type of stuff. So, I mean, it's going to be a great experience. I'm excited to kind of go check out some of the outback and, uh, you know, maybe do some snorkeling in the Great Barrier mm-hmm. Reef and figure out what my next adventure is down there for sure. So you're moving to take a role as the vice president of operations. Are you nervous at all about moving to Australia? I mean, I know it must be exciting, but is there any little part of you that's worried about leaving your life here in the U.S. behind? No, I mean, I think the goal is we're pretty well-established kind of startup down in Australia at this point. You know, we've got nine or 10,000 different brands using our product. And the goal is to eventually, you know, we're hiring and building out the team there. And then within, you know, two years, kind of open a strategic office within the U.S. So I think there's kind of a light at the end of the tunnel that goes, you know, within two years, I'll be back in the U.S. So I, I think it's more excitement right now, just sitting mm-hmm. there saying it's for a limited period of time. It's a new country. You know, go down there and enjoy as much as you can. I think, you know, after about a month or two being down there, it'll probably sink in a little, a little bit more. But there are a lot of young professionals who now have to sometimes just get up and leave, right? And end up in a new city, new country as you are across the world where they don't know people. Do you have any thoughts or strategies of how you're going to handle that? This was actually a goal of mine. It was kind of something that I said before, you know, I settle down and I get that family and kind of take that next step. I would love to go live in, and work in another country for a little while. So I kind of started looking for jobs in Europe and in Australia. And I do know a couple people in Australia. Unfortunately, none of them are in Sydney. So it's one of those things where if I were to go see anybody, it would be like a four hour flight. So Yeah, I was like, Australia is pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> it's I mean, not like, well, I didn't know anyone there, but they're in the next town over. I think it's four close to away. the size of the continental US. I always related to Canada. There's kind of you know, four major cities kind of on one coast, and then there's another city on the far coast, and then it's got the same population as Canada. It's about 30 million mm. people. So, Do the toilets flush in reverse there? <laughs> they do. Is yeah. that real? <laughs> <laughs> it actually is real. <laughs> well, after you've acclimated there for a while and you come back, we'd love to catch up and see how your experience has been. Yeah, definitely. I'll go like spider hunting or something and bring yeah. back another story. Oh my God, why would you ever? Yeah, as long as it's not snakes. Like snakes are the one thing like I just can't, I can't handle. I can't well, do it. have fun because there are a lot of them there. Yeah, I, well. And I'm they're deadly. <laughs> That's why you wouldn't ever see them anywhere else in the world because yeah. they'll kill you the first time you see them. Yeah, I mean, again, like last time I was down there, there was just a marketplace and walking through the market place they had taken like some animals they had like petrified and hung up and all the types and you see like some of those spiders that are much bigger than your hand no thank you yeah i was like okay so that's not a myth i'm gonna tap out send pictures to me and your mom (laughs) 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 neither of us are gonna visit yeah exactly but uh no i appreciate it thanks for for having me on guys thank you so much coming up on the next episode of real tall tales it's the biggest night of your life it's all on the line and you're staring down the barrel of success And then the entire course of your life shifts in one moment. Could you imagine losing your entire life savings in one night? All of a sudden, everyone starts smelling smoke. Then I look up and I see these like bright orange flames. Our next guest, Josh Kim, will tell you about how he took the gamble with his life savings and ended up saving lives. Thanks for listening to Real Tall Tales. If you like this episode, we'd love for you to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to follow the show on social. That's at The Tall Tales Pod on Twitter and Real Tall Tales Pod on Instagram. And if you have a tall tale, we'd love to hear it. Hit us up at realtalltalespodcast.com.